Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Like I said, I was thinking about this this week, for, for even for myself. Uh, the word I, I shared a little bit last week uh, after worship, that uh, just like the woman who pushed through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment, that in order that we'll, we will receive from the Lord what we're willing to make a withdrawal from him. And if we're, if we're not willing to push through, if we're not willing to make a withdrawal, we'll be like the rest of the crowd who got to see a good show, but they didn't get to touch his garment. They didn't get the withdrawal of who he was. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you um, to press in this morning. Press in, make a withdrawal from the Holy Spirit this morning. He's here. He's here. And the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. He's here this morning. So let's make a withdrawal from what he has to give us. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just pray. Jesus, thank you again for your presence in this room. God, I, I just am so humbled that you would come and visit us, Father, that you would come and dwell among us. And as your word says, that you come and dwell in us, that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, I pray that today as, as I bring the word, God, that my speech and my preaching would not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but would be in demonstration of the spirit and power that our, our faith would not be in the wisdom of any man, but would be in the power of God. Father, let your power come today in your word, Father. Change our hearts, God. Change our mindset. Change the direction of our lives, Jesus. Let us press deeper into who you are today. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, I began talking to you about the rest of righteousness. Last week, we talked about bricks and whips. Today, we're going to talk about uh, giants becoming our bread. Giants becoming our bread. Amen. And uh, so I want to start off by recapping just, just a little bit. Um, we started off last week in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. And what these chapters do is that it's, it's the writer of Hebrews, which is more than likely Paul. He is using the story of the Israel's exodus as a metaphor or as a foreshadow of the condition of many Christians and many believers' hearts, uh, both back then in his day and also in our day. And what it is, is, is this, if you need a refresher, so Israel was held in captivity for over 400 years by the Egyptians. Over, can you imagine that? 400 years, meaning there were generations of people who didn't know anything other than slavery. That they grew up, that their parents grew up slaves. They grew up slaves. They knew nothing of what it was to be free. They only knew what it was to be under the hand of the taskmasters. And all of a sudden, Moses comes in and it's the whole story of let my people go and, and the 10 plagues and all of that stuff, which we're not getting into this morning. All of those things happen. Eventually, Pharaoh relents and the people of Israel who were once held in captivity for 400 years walk through the middle of the Red Sea. Remember this story? They, the Red Sea parts, they walk through the middle of the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes behind them, destroying the people who held them in captivity. And all of a sudden, a people who had never known freedom found themselves on the shores on the other side of the Red Sea, completely set free from their captivity. They're completely set free from the captivity. Now, this people who never know slavery or never knew freedom before, I've only known slavery 
are on the other side of the shores and now they're going, okay, now what? Now what do we do? There's nobody now to tell us what to do. What do we do now that we're set free? And Moses tells them, listen, there is a land. There is a land that was promised to you hundreds of years before. A promise that was given first to a man named Abraham. That was then passed down to his son Isaac who was then passed down to his son Jacob and then was given to the 12 tribes of Israel whom you are descendants and this land was promised to you. It's the land of promise. It's the land of rest. Can you imagine hearing that? Slaves for 400 years and somebody's telling you there's a land where you can step into where you never have to toil again where you never have to work again, where you never have to strive and struggle again, that there's a land of rest that has been promised to you from generations to generation. And that is the land I am taking you to. So Moses gathers up the Israelites, which some scholars believe at this point in time could have been over a million people. I know what it's like. We just traveled to Tennessee with three kids. Can you imagine traveling 11, an 11 day journey on foot? to the land of Canaan with over a million people. I don't know if it only took them 11 days or I probably, if it was just my three kids, it would have probably taken a hundred days to get there. So I can't imagine with, with, with uh, over a million people, but they began making their journey to the land of Canaan. They get to the border in the wilderness of Paran, it says, on the border of the promised land and something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. Hebrews chapter 3 explains it like this. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 3. This is a review a little bit from last week, so you've, you've read this before. But Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 16. The Israelites get to the wilderness of Paran. They're on the border of the promised land. And this is what it says happens. It says, and those, and who was it who rebelled against God? even though they heard his voice. Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt and who, was met and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. They were not able to enter into his rest. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that the very people that Yahweh God rescued from slavery rebelled against him. They get to the edge of the promise and because of their unbelief, the Bible says, because of their disobedience, they were unable to step foot into the place of rest. Have you ever made a bad decision in your life? Nope. <laughs> nope. A couple years ago, I was outside here at the house just working on something, and a guy pulls up in a truck, and he gets out of his truck. He's got a big freezer in the back of his truck, and he gets out of the truck, and he tells me, he says, hey, he said, I... I'm coming from uh, like Texas Roadhouse and some other places there in town in Marion that serve steak. And he says, um, I've got all of this extra steak that I've got to unload. 
I've got to get rid of it before I get back to, to base that, that, that my boss wants me to unload it. So I'm just stopping at people's houses and uh, I can give you a really good deal. These are really great steaks. Hook, line and sinker, man. I was like, oh, I, I love steak. How good of a deal. He's like, man, I can give you all of this steak. I think it was like a hundred bucks, something like that. And I mean, it was just these boxes and boxes of different cuts of steak and everything. He's pulling them out. He's showing them to me and my mouth is just watering. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I'm like, hey, hey, Amber, what do you think? And she's like, I'm pulling, I'm telling you this part. So I'm not the only guilty one here. So, so she was like, she was like, I mean, do whatever you want to do, you know, whatever, whatever you think is best. I'm like, okay. I mean, obviously the steak is the right choice, making that choice. So I'm like, dude, that sounds good to me. I'll take it. You know, so I buy the steak. There were two moments that I realized I had made a bad decision. One was the very first bite of steak that I took. And it was as chewy as bubble gum, right? Like it was like big league, having a big old wad of big league chew in my mouth. It was just chewy. It was not good. And I'm decent at cooking steaks. You can ask Amber, Holly, I'm pretty good. These were not good steaks. So that was number one, the realization that I made a bad decision. The second, res, or, uh, second time I realized that I made a bad decision was when I called the number the guy had given me. And I got... The person you are trying to call's voicemail box is full. And it is instantly I realized I made a bad decision. <laughs> Don't trust the guy who just shows up randomly at your door trying to load some steaks. Just, 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 just saying. I realized, I, I wonder how long it took the Israelites to realize they had made a bad decision. How many times did they circle the desert before they thought, huh, Maybe I should have listened to the guy who parted the waters by telling some old guy to lift a stick in the air. Maybe he would be trustworthy enough to listen to. I wonder how long it took. Do you realize how many funerals Joshua and Caleb had to go through in the land, in the wilderness, walking around the wilderness because the people of Israel disobeyed? Because the people of Israel just wouldn't believe the God who told them that I am going to give you this land. Israel made a grave mistake. Their mistake was unbelief and their mistake was disobedience. What exactly happened there in the wilderness of Paran on the border of the promised land? Let's take a look at it here in Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 starting in verse one. So the Israelites get to the, the border of Canaan and this is what the Lord says to them. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each tribe, each of the 12 tribes of, uh, yeah, each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp into the wilderness of Paran. Let's skip now down to verse 17, unless you all want me to read the genealogies there. I can do that, but uh, I bet you want me to skip to verse 17. So let's do that. Moses gave the men these instructions. So God tells Moses to pick out these men to go explore the land that I am giving you. And then Moses says, it says in verse 17 that Moses gave the men these men, these instructions, as he sent them out to explore the land. He tells them this, go north through the Negev into the hill country. 
See what land is, see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best then to bring back samples of the crops you see. Because it happened to be the season of harvesting the first ripe grapes. I want you to notice two things right here at the beginning. I want you to notice the difference between God's command and Moses' command. God said to Moses, this simple command, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land, listen, say this with me, church. The land that I am giving you. Don't say it. Don't worry about saying it. That's fine. I'll just say it. The land that I am giving you. Now look at Moses' instructions. First thing I want you to see is this. Moses tells them, he says, I want you to go into the land and see if the land See if the soil is really fertile. Go into the land and why don't you uh, see if there's trees all over the place or is it more like a desert? Is this, is this land really bountiful or is it barren? And, and if you can, grab a little bit of their crop and bring it back so that we can expect, inspect it to see if it's really worth the journey in or if it's really worth the hassle to take the land or not. The first thing I want you to notice about the difference between the two instructions is God told them to go in. I'm giving you this land. And Moses tells them, go in and inspect the land and see if God really is as good as he says he is. See if the land really is as fertile and sweet as God says it is. See if the land really is as restful and pleasant as God says it is. And that's the first thing that'll happen. That's the first thing that Moses did is instead of trusting God, Moses tells them to see if the land really is as good as God says it is. And that's what happens with us. Are we really as righteous as God says we are? Is sin really dead on the inside of us? God, I've, I've, been, I've been there. I've seen the giants. Sin is still a deep struggle for me. Is, there, is sin really, is Romans 6 really true when it says that I have died to sin? Is that really true? Am I really the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Because God, I know my thoughts. And the first thing that happens is you begin questioning is what God said, the good things that God said, is it really true? Is it really as good as he says it is? Because I want to go and I'm going to expect to see if it's real or not. I, I know myself, God, and, and, and I know the struggles I had. Am I really righteous like you said I am? Notice the next thing that happens. He tells Moses to see to inspect the people of the land. Are there few or are there many? Are the cities fortified or are they open? Or are they easy to take? Inspect the people, inspect the land. Notice God tells them, this is the land I will give you. 
Not this is the land you have to battle for. Or this is the land you must overtake. God didn't send Moses in to explore the land to develop a battle plan and a strategy. He sent him into the land to explore and to see the spoils. To see the goodness of the land. So that those men, when they came back after seeing the goodness of the land, would have the faith enough to believe that we can conquer any giant because the land is that good. But instead, what happened? Moses sends them in with this thought process. Let's make a battle plan. Inspect the people. Let's see where their weak spots are. Let's see how big these people are. Let's see how many are there. Do we outnumber them or do they outnumber us? And the land God said he would give them, Moses is planning a way of battle. That God, or that Moses was looking for a battle plan and God was ready to give it to them as an inheritance. God was ready to give it to them as an inheritance and they were looking for a battle plan. They were strategizing, how can we conquer this land? And how many times do we find ourselves in that same mindset? God has given us righteousness, forgiveness, grace as an inheritance. It's a gift that he gives us. But how many times do we mull over in our minds over and over again, how can I defeat sin? How can I battle sin? How can I defeat these giants in my life? When God all along is saying, no, 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 no. You don't have to work for righteousness. You don't have to work for rest. It's an inheritance that I wanna give you. It's an inheritance that I wanna give you. But Moses tells them to go in to develop the battle plan. Moses was planning for battle. God was planning for inheritance. Moses was planning on fighting for the promised land. God was ready to gift it to them. And here's the result. Here's the result of what happens when you go in looking for a battle plan. Chapter 13, verse 27. Chapter 13, verse 27 says, this was the, their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit that it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Aklamites live in the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Skip now to verse 32. So, the, they, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought as well. Or as some translations say, they were, they were, we were as grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we were as grasshoppers in our own. Throughout scripture, Moses always represents the law. Moses always represents the law. And here's the deal with the law. The law focuses on the rules. 
This is what you have to do to get in. This is what you have to do to enter into righteousness. In the Old Testament, there was customs, there were sacrifices, there were things. But here's how the law works in our own minds these days. The law's focus is this. In order to be righteous, I have to pray every day for at least a half an hour. I have to read my Bible, make sure I get one chapter in a day. I have to go to church every Sunday, every Sunday, unless it's a really nice day to be on the boat. But other than that, every Sunday I'll be there. I have to be a good person to other people. And whatever you do, here's the big one. Whatever you do, don't sin. If I keep all of these things, if I do all of these things, then I, if, I, if I do all of these things, keep it all in order, then I'll have favor with God. Then I will be righteous. Then I will be loved. Then I can be used by God and he can, he can anoint me to, to speak his word. If I do all of these things, if I check all of these boxes, then I will inherit his favor. But here's the deal. The law will always get you to see the giants over the promised land. The law will always get you to see the giants over the promised land. Just like how Moses, God told him, go and explore the land that I'm going to give you. But Moses, who represents the law, said, go and explore the land, but look at the giants. See how big the people are. See how fortified the cities are. And what the law then does is make you overlook the promised land and see all of the obstacles in the way of inheriting the promise. The old law, the law will always tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not strong enough, smart enough to be able to walk into the promise. The law will always make you second guess whether or not you can overcome sin or if you're over or if you're more than your failures. The law will always make you question whether or not you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The law will always, every time, get you to see the giants over the promised land. You'll see the obstacles. You'll see the obstacles we're talking about giants a lot. What are the giants? The giants are your mistakes and your failures. The giants are your addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it is, these giants in your life. The giants are everywhere that you lack and everywhere that you come up short and everywhere that you're fa you fail. And what happens is, is the law comes in and makes those things the forefront. And you can't ever see past your own failures to see the place of rest. And so what happens, you end up spending your life in turmoil, struggling, striving to enter into rest, the promised place of rest, but never fully able to because you can't get your eye past the giant. You can't get yourself past your failures and your mistakes 
and your problems and your addictions and the sin that keeps happening over and over again. And you keep fighting it, you keep battling it, but it keeps winning over and over again. And you're seeing, saying to yourself, how do I enter into the place of rest when these giants are standing in front of me? How do I enter into the place of rest when these giants are standing in front of me? Then we end up talking like this, the Romans or Numbers chapter 14, how the Israelites talk. It says that they saw these people, these giants, and it says the whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us into the country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back into Egypt. What happens when they see these giants and think righteousness looks great, but I am just a grasshopper in the eyes of my failures. So we become, what happens then is we become content to live in the in-between. Are you all tracking with me this morning? We see these giants, we see our failures, we see our mistakes. We think we can't enter into the promised land. So what happens is we become content to live in the in-between. That I've been set free but I can't enter into rest. And that I, I'm no longer under the rule of Pharaoh, but I'm just kind of aimless walking in the wilderness. And just like the Israelites, what did the Israelites say when they find themselves in this place? It'd be better if I would just die. Can you imagine getting to that place? that you've finally been set free. But listen, the, the giants are so big, it'd be better if I would just die right now. Talk about a bunch of whiners, right? <laughs> like you've been set free, all of these amazing things happen, but you would just rather die in the wilderness. You would rather just, just die in the wilderness. So we become content to live in the in-between. Being forgiven is good enough. Not being under Pharaoh will suffice. We begin looking at heaven as the fix-all. Listen to this, church. We begin looking to heaven as the fix-all. Just like the Israelites, it'd be better if I would just die and go to heaven than to be here dealing with these giants, right? We sing songs. I, I, forgive me if this is your favorite hymn, but let me just read these words to you. Some glad morning... When this life is over, I'll fly away. Think about that. Some glad morning when I die, <laughs> I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and I'll fly away. And then I love this. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. It's a great course, but it's not the kingdom. I get what they're saying. I can't wait to get to heaven either. But let me tell you something. There is a promised land that is not on the other side of the deathbed. 
There is a promised land we can enter into now. We don't have to spend these days weary, barely making it through, struggling and striving every day. There is a place of rest to enter into now. And if that's not true, then let me say it this way. Death becomes our savior, not Jesus. If heaven is the place where we can finally enter into rest, then death becomes our savior and not Jesus. But I want to tell you something. By his stripes, we are healed. That he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. When he died on that cross, he made a way for us to enter into rest. Not when we die and go to heaven, but now in this life, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our savior. He is our gateway into rest. Death is not our savior. Yeah, someday heaven is going to be great and I cannot wait to get there, but I'm not waiting to enter into rest until I get to heaven. I'm not striving on this earth for 80, 90, 100 years until I can finally pass away and go to heaven and rest. When I am promised now in this life, there is a place of rest where I don't have to battle sin and I don't have to battle to earn favor with God, but right now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right now, I can defeat sin in the flesh because he defeated sin in the flesh. And if you have died to sin, how can you live any longer in it? There is a place of rest when you can fully take on your identity as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what does that do? That settles that thing in you that is constantly striving to earn God's favor because you begin to realize that I am loved. The Bible even says this, I am loved with the same love that God the Father loves Jesus. There is nothing more that you can do There is nothing more. There's no more good things you can do. You cannot stop sinning enough for you to be more loved by the Father. Right now, you are more loved. And when you begin coming into that inheritance and that mindset, you come into a place that is restful because you know who you are and the striving stops and the work stops and the brick making stops and the whip stops and you realize and you can be settled in knowing that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is who I am and this is how I walk this earth. Amen. You are righteous now. And so how do we get there? How do we get there? We have to have the same mindset that Joshua and Caleb had. We have to have the same mindset that Joshua and Caleb had. What did Joshua and Caleb say? Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies that went into the land of Israel and saw all the same giants, saw the same fortified cities, saw all of the same things that the other 10 did. And when the other 10 leaders came back and were saying, man, the land was great, but listen, you've got to see these giants. You've got to see these cities. They're fortified. They're strong. There's no way. When they were saying all those things, Caleb goes, hey, hey, you all be quiet. We can take the land. They said, he said, the land is bountiful. The land is beautiful. The land is everything the father says. Let's go right now and take the land. The Lord has given it to us. 
And all the people quieted Caleb down and pushed him to the side and began complaining again and began saying, saying they'd rather die in the wilderness than try to take the land and begin making plans to go back to Egypt. And, and Joshua and Caleb rise up again and they say, no, 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 listen, guys, we can take the land. These giants will become our bread. You know what happened? The people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for saying it. The people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for even implying that we should go take and conquer the land. We'll get back to that in just a second. What does he mean by giants will be our bread? What does Joshua and Caleb, what do they mean by the giants will become our bread? In this place of rest, in the promised land, what once tried to kill you will now become what nourishes you. That's a profound statement. In the place of rest, what once tried to kill you will now be what nourishes you. How many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? Anybody? David and Goliath. David kills Goliath, right? Which Goliath was one of the descendants of Anak, one of these he was a family member of the giants they saw in the land. He kills Goliath. He takes the sword. He cuts off the giant's head, right? And then what does he do? He takes the head of the giant and he begins parading it around the village. Man, the Old Testament times were awesome. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> He takes the giant's head and he begins traveling around to the different villages and the different tribes. And he begins showing them the prize, the trophy of the giant's head. David does this for two reasons. One, it is a declaration to every other enemy. What happens when you come against the tribe who belongs to the Lord? He's saying, this is what happens when you mess with my tribe. But then here's the other thing it declares. It declares, David declares that if God helped me kill my giant, he will also kill your giant. And what once tried to kill you now becomes your testimony. What once tried to take you out, what once was your failures and your most embarrassing mistakes now becomes the very weapon that you show other people that says, if he did it for me, he will do it for you as well. And the giant becomes your bread. The giant becomes what nourishes you and becomes your testimony to everybody else around you. Giants become your bread. Alcoholism dies. Pornography addiction dies. Dishonesty dies. Laziness dies. Apathy towards God. All of these things, these giants in our land, all of them become our bread. They become our bread. They're as easy as baking a loaf of bread, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever had Hawaiian bread? It's good stuff. The giants become as easy as pulling apart a Hawaiian roll <laughs> and it nourishes you. It becomes your testimony. What once tried to kill you becomes your greatest testimony. We have to become like Joshua and Caleb. Let's go take the land. Like I said before, Joshua and Caleb made this announcement 
and everybody there wanted to stone them. Everybody there wanted to take them out for even suggesting that we take the land. I want to tell you this. I'm almost done. I want to tell you this. There will be those who hear the message of righteousness and because of their fear of the giants, they will want to discredit you and come against you. Because of their fear of their own failures, they'll want to tell you that what you believe is wrong and it's not true and they'll want to pull you back into their own fear. They will have a million reasons why, but in the end, there were only two in that whole company. There were only two in that whole company that got to inherit the promised land of rest. Joshua and Caleb. That the others wanted to stone them. They wanted to discredit them. They wanted to tell them they were wrong. But every one of them died in the in-between. But Joshua and Caleb got to step in to their inheritance. The rest remained in turmoil. The rest remained with anxiety and fear. But Joshua and Caleb stepped in to rest and peace. That while all the others, how, again, how many funerals did Joshua and Caleb have to go into? How many times did they have to, but they kept their eye on the promised land. And there was a day where Joshua stepped into the land of Canaan and he said, give me my mountain. And I want to tell you today that you'll have your own doubts and others will also come against you in doubt. But I want to tell you today that keep your eyes on the promised place of rest. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know that there's, there's these giants of failure, that there's these giants of sin staring you down. But I want to tell you, God does not tell you to look at them. He's saying, I'm giving you the promised land as an inheritance. And these giants will be your bread. These failures become what nourishes you. These sins, these things that you've battled against, you won't have to strive and battle against them. When you step into the place of rest, I will slay those giants with you and you will enter into the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a place of rest for you. I have one more, just one more quick point and then we'll pray and close for today. The people of Israel rebelled. They couldn't see past the giants. The Bible tells us that because they couldn't see past the giants, they were not able to enter into the promised land. So they did an about face and spent 40 years, 40 years walking around the wilderness. Wandering in the wilderness. But even in the wilderness, God provided even in the in-between, even in between freedom from slavery and not yet in the fullness of the promise, God provided for them. He gave them manna to eat from heaven. Every day he nourished them and gave them food to eat. The Bible says that Moses struck a rock and water poured out for them to drink. The Bible tells us also that there was a fire there was a cloud that covered them by day 
that guided them and protected them from the sun. And then by night that there was a fire that, that lit up the camp for them and kept them warm during the night. That God provided for them, even in the wilderness. And I want to tell you that where, if you're still in the wilderness now, God will always provide for you. But I want you to say this. Don't ever mistake provision for the promise. Don't ever mistake barely getting by in this life for the fullness of all God wants for you. Because he will provide in the wilderness. But I'm telling you, manna, manna is not grapes the size of your head. And water from a rock is awesome, but it's not milk and honey. That the fire by day and the cloud by night is great, but there's nothing like being able to dwell in his presence 24-7. So don't mistake provision in the wilderness for the inheritance. There is more. There is more. There is a place of rest that you can enter into. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we honor you today. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you don't just set us free to leave us wandering in the wilderness. And Father, you don't take us to a land of promise only to be held up by the failures and the sins and those things in our life, Jesus, those giants in our life. God, that you have provided a place of rest for us to enter into, a place of wholeness, a place of peace, a place of righteousness and glory. A place, Father, of more than enough. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room. God, whether, wherever they're at in their stage of life, God, whether they're still in the in-between or whether they're in the promise, God, I pray that today that everyone in this company, everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone who listens to this later through the website and the podcast, God, I pray, God, that they would see past the giants into the land of inheritance. God, that they would see the giants not as obstacles, but as bread to overcome, Father. God, that there is a, you wouldn't take us to the edge of the promise only to be held up by the giants. But God, you give us the grace to overcome every giant that stands in our way. God, that we don't need a battle plan. God, we just need to step in to the inheritance. God, I thank you for the land of more than enough. I thank you that you have made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of God right now, that we could never be more righteous right, right now, than, or never, we could never be more righteous than we are right now in this moment because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we honor you today. Let us step into the promise, the land of more than enough, the place of rest. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I, would, I feel like I have to, hopefully you all know my heart enough to know this, but I feel like I just need to share this one last caveat. Stepping into the land of promise doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we do whatever we want in the land. But stepping into the place of promise compels us to walk, 
not just with the identity of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but with the action of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's the full package. We step into the inheritance, not just to have the title, but to have the walk as well. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God, we honor you. We bless you in Jesus name. Amen.